Well, good morning, everyone. And welcome, a warm welcome to all of our family, friends who are visiting. Uh, so grateful to have you here with us. Um, so, I grew out my beard. Thanks for noticing. Um, and Holy Week, you know, is, of course, a huge week for us priests and for all of us as Christians. So I also got a haircut. Thanks for noticing. I, uh, I've been the pastor here at Lourdes for uh, almost eight years now. And whenever I go to get my haircut, I go to this kind of fancy place. It's called Great Clips. And over the eight years that I've been here, they know who I am. And you walk in in your collar, and um, they know me. I've been here for long enough. And so this week when I uh, showed up to have my haircut last week, actually, uh, you know, I did the, like, call-ahead thing or the app. I got on the app, and I signed up online, and I got ahead. And I walked in, and uh, I saw there's four different hairstylists, and they all saw me, and they all turned and went, like, the other way. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> this, is, this is my life, all right? This is, like, <laughs> painful sometimes. Uh, but they did. They, they saw me, and they, I could just see they all kind of, you know, when someone sees you, and they're, they look at you, and then they kind of look away and uh, pretend they didn't see you. And one of the things that's happened over the last eight years, that's a bit of a mystery to me, uh, is that I found that I'm not as good of a witness for the gospel as I think I used to be. Uh, I'm not fully sure why that is. I have some ideas. I think part of it is just that I am a priest now, and sometimes people have a hard time. If they don't know priests, they have a hard time interacting with them. But there was, there's one woman who works there who's a fallen away Catholic. And I always try so, to be so careful to not be pushy or to be forceful with people in any way. And over the last eight years, as this woman is, has kind of gotten to know me a little bit, um, she told me that she had left the church. And I just tried to be gentle, you know, I thought, well, people have a hard time when you're a priest, and so I'm not going to push it, but I just invited her back. And I just said, hey, you know, I've, I don't just have one church, I've actually got two, right? <laughs> and I said, you'd be welcome at either one, any time, you could pick whichever one you wanted. Um, and I gave her my card, and I just said, there's no pressure but you're always welcome at our church. I haven't seen her. And she was one of the ones this past week, and she was there. And she saw me, and she kind of turned the other way. And it made me think this week, I was praying about what to preach about this Easter. And if you were here on Holy Thursday, I preach on Holy Thursday about how at the Last Supper, Jesus washes the apostles' feet. And Origen, who is the greatest scripture scholar of the ancient church, 
Origen says that Jesus washes their feet to make their feet beautiful. And he says that because the first time the word gospel, good news, is used in the entire Bible is Isaiah 52.7. In Isaiah 52.7, there's a prophecy and it says, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. And Origen says, right, the apostles are going to be the first ones to bring the good news to the world. The first witnesses of the gospel. And so in accordance with the prophecy of Isaiah 52.7, Origen says their feet have to be beautiful, and so Jesus washes them at the Last Supper. But I was thinking about, about what to say today, and that theme of beauty came back into my mind. Beauty, what it does for all of us, we know this. Beauty evokes desire. Beauty evokes desire. When something is beautiful, right, and then my favorite theologian, those of you who are here a lot, Balthazar says, if we don't have beauty in our faith, we might know it's true. But it doesn't move our hearts. It doesn't transform us. We might know that I'm, I'm supposed to live a certain life, and I know I'm supposed to live this way, but if I don't perceive my faith as beautiful, it doesn't move me. And so I was asking myself, why isn't she here? And if you're here, woman from Great Clips, we won't embarrass you. But why isn't she here? Maybe it's because of the church scandals. Maybe she has not yet perceived Christ to be beautiful. And so there's not a desire in her heart that says, not only do I know I probably should go, but actually, Jesus, you are so beautiful, I desire to be with you. Maybe I haven't done a good enough job of, of presenting the beauty of Christ. I don't know. I know it's not Emily. Her voice is amazing, so it's not her. But why isn't she here? One more thought I had. So in the, the gospel we read this morning from Luke chapter 24, you get a, a Greek word today on Easter Sunday, just like every other Sunday. Now, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. They came back from the tomb and they said, his body's not there. We went looking for him, but he's not there. But these words seemed to them as leros. So everybody say leros. Leros is the Greek word that means nonsense. Complete nonsense. It's the root for where our English word delirious comes from. And so the apostles hear these women, they come back, 
And it's just nonsense. And when I was reading about this, I thought, maybe that's what she thinks. Maybe she looks at me and she's like, it's just nonsense. Here comes the priest again with that really sweet beard, right? <laughs> he seems nice enough, but it's just, it's just Leros. It's just nonsense. Brothers and sisters, today is the most important day of our lives. Easter is the day that turned your life and mine from something that was very earthly and, and maybe just good and fine into a day that transformed everything you ever look at. If you believe in the resurrection, this world is good and in fact it's good in a way it never could have been otherwise, but it's relativized. Because everything, right, when, when you have the resurrection, it's like you got a new pair of glasses. And everything comes into focus, and you see it in a new way. And you know that it's good, but you know it's on its way to where Christ will transform all things into what they should be. Changes everything. I didn't know that. You know, when I had my conversion, I was, I was raised Catholic. But I was probably like a lot of you, you know, you go to church on Sundays. Your, your mom makes you go. My dad wasn't Catholic yet. That changed last night, which is pretty amazing. Um, is that amazing? Yeah. That's, he would be so mad if he knew I just told you that. But it did. But my dad came into church last night. It was amazing. But growing up, you go to church, and yeah, I guess you believe in the resurrection, but I didn't get it yet. And last night, I want to paint a picture for you at the Easter vigil. What happens at the vigil, the church is pitch black. And the Easter candle is the only light in the church as the liturgy begins. And what happens, the deacon processes up this aisle and he chants the light of Christ. And we all respond, thanks be to God. And what happens is as that light makes its way up to the sanctuary, the servers and the priests, they take their, Easter, their little baptismal candles and they light from the candle of Christ, the resurrection candle. And as that flame moves up to the altar, it spreads. And the church is illuminated by a light that seems so sacred and otherworldly. And here's the thing. That is an image for us. You see, the, the, the gospel today and our first reading, what they emphasize in a huge way, the gospel story and the way that the church spreads the faith is not like a physical science. And God doesn't want it to be that way. What God asks of us is not to prove things, 
but to be witnesses. The New Testament emphasizes this over and over and over. Acts of the Apostles begins with the story of the church, and the apostles pick someone to replace Judas, and they don't say we have to have someone who can prove the faith to others. They don't say we have to have someone who's really smart and can explain things. What they say is we need someone who is a witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Who has seen it. And that person can be a witness to God's redemption of the world. I became, I never thought I'd be a religious person. I thought you guys were boring. I'm not like you. I'm not a religious person. I never thought I'd be one. I didn't. What happened in my life is I couldn't see the flame of Christ. I didn't understand. I didn't get it. I hadn't seen the resurrection. But what I saw was someone else's candle. When the resurrection of Christ touches you, brothers and sisters, it puts the light of God into your soul. I was so blessed when I was 19 years old. I had no interest in religion. But I had seen my mother's candle. I had seen the light of the joy of the gospel inside of her. The light was spreading. And I, I saw it. I got so lucky. And maybe it was more than luck, Jesus. Maybe... Maybe, Lord, it was your grace. Maybe somehow you were working so that I could see the light. But there's a, there's a guy at our church, a guy named John. He was my mentor in college, and the light of the resurrection shone through his life. I didn't know it at the time, but what was happening is just like those candles. The Easter candle comes down, and the flame is passed from person to person. And I somehow, by the grace of God, I found people in my life that were witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was amazing. You know what the best proof of Christianity is? This means yes. This means no. I tell the, the kids, if you're a visitor, you, know, you might not know this. We have a school, and I tell our kids, you know, this means yes, this means no, and this is unacceptable. <laughs> and so they all do that. <laughs> and it's wonderful. I love it. Uh, <laughs> the best proof of Christianity, you know what it is? 
It's Christians. People don't come to Christianity, brothers and sisters, because of an argument. You know, people have really good questions. I know I did. And every year I teach those who are thinking about becoming Catholic, and they have really important questions that have to be answered. And I do my best every year. I teach this class. Last night we brought 20 people into the Catholic Church, and I do my best to answer their questions. And they're kind of like, okay, you know, and you can see them kind of thinking. They're like, all right, he's got a cool beard. I'll listen, you know. And the, the questions are important, but that's not why they become Catholic. And every year I see it, every single year. There's a moment in our class each year where the, it turns from intellectual kind of questions, and there's this moment, and you can just feel it in class, where they see his beauty. And the whole class changes. I stand up in front of these people and I can feel their hearts coming alive. The best argument, brothers and sisters, for Christianity is Christians. When Christians are joyful, when they're kind, when they walk through this world and they know that they belong to the next, when they don't hate other people, when they're not self-righteous, when they're humble, and when they worship something greater than themselves, Christians are living gospels. They are the best proof of Christianity. Unfortunately, the best argument against Christianity is also Christians. Why are people not in the church? Why I, I love it. We have a, such a full church today. It's beautiful. What if, what if we had to have you know, the, the mass live streamed in the gym? The best argument against Christianity is Christians. It's when other people think, well, I couldn't go to that church. It's, it's for perfect people. It's for those people who haven't committed sins. You know, those Christians are all hypocrites anyways. Right? Those Christians, they're the ones who are judgmental. And there doesn't seem to be any life in them. When that happens, brothers and sisters, our faith, the flame dies. You are called to be a witness. What God wants from every man, woman, and child in this world is he wants their hearts. And you can't change people's hearts. You can't control them. You can't manipulate them. Right? I've thought before this woman at Great Clips, maybe I'll just kidnap her and bring her to church. <laughs> right? And she'll hear Emily sing and she'll be like, okay, I'm in. Right? <laughs> You can't do that. But what you can be is you can be someone who can say, I saw him rise from the dead. Because I was dead. 
I didn't even know I was dead. I didn't even know I was in the darkness. But then I saw someone else's candle. And I saw the light. Pope Benedict says this, And actually, it's not even him. He's just quoting St. Augustine. St. Augustine says this. He says, what does it mean to sing with jubilation? If there's any day of the year that you and I should sing for jubilation. Brothers and sisters, in the icon of the resurrection, I just have to share this. The icon of the resurrection, Jesus stands over the gates of death and hell, and they are smashed. And underneath his feet are hundreds of keys. And I always wonder, what are all those keys? They're the keys to the chains that held us bound. And today is the day that Christ broke those chains. If there was ever a day to sing with jubilation, it is today. Augustine, what does it mean to sing with jubilation? It means to be unable to express in words or to verbalize the song that sings to you in your heart. Hear that again. What does it mean to sing with jubilation? It means to be unable to express in words or verbalize the song that sings to you in your heart. Remember when you fell in love? And everybody around you were like, okay, he finally lost it. You couldn't help it. I remember when my, my two brothers, when they fell in love with their, with their wives, and I was like, they're crazy. <laughs> to sing with jubilation is to have a song on your lips that flows from your heart, and you can't just say it you can only sing. My roommate in college, he was always singing. He had a great voice, and it annoyed the heck out of me. I was like, why are you always singing? His name was Nate. Nate was singing because he had found Christ. It was one of those candles in my life that showed me the light of the resurrection. Brothers and sisters, you are called to be witnesses. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, the other women, they are witnesses to the apostles on Easter Sunday morning. You are called to be a witness. To be a person who walks through this world with joy. If you do that, there'll be a song on your lips. If the resurrection touches your heart and your soul, there will be a song on your lips wherever you go. And you know what people will say? They'll say this is nothing but labros. It's nonsense. And people will think you're crazy. But I never would have been a Christian if it weren't for people like you. Never. I was on my way out of the church 
but I met people who had the light of Christ in them. And somehow, by the grace of God, I joined them. Jesus, today you have broken my chains. You've brought me to the joy of eternal life. Lord, you have freed the world from sin and death. You have opened the gates of heaven. Lord, I know that all of us, if we are to be witnesses, we have to have that song on our lips. And Lord, I know, I know the world will think we're crazy. But Jesus, may we sing anyways. Anyways.